And I trust that that is your, your goal in life, to be able to trust the Lord wherever he may lead. A few announcements I want to make. Um, we want to pray for McKenna as she gets ready uh, for surgery of her knee. And she anticipates being able to run in, what, nine months? That's a long time to wait. But eventually you'll be there. So let's pray. Next week she has surgery. And let's pray for Dirk as well as Dirk is going to be once again uh, treated for that infection that had spread up through his arm. The infection doesn't seem to want to go away. And so let's pray for Dirk and pray that the outcome will not be as, as serious as some doctors suggest that the infection will be remedied. And let's continue to pray for Sue, uh, who's still hospitalized. And any um, word as to when she's going to be released? There's a possibility she might be able to come home this week. I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, infections are sort of subdued at this point. At this, at this point. Uh, the last three dialysis have gone well. Good, good. She's still very weak, though. Okay. Let's pray for Sue, and we'll do that in a little bit. For now, we are going to open our scriptures to Ephesians chapter 4, the text that we were looking at together, as Joe read to us just a few moments ago. Let me just place a little emphasis there for you as to what was being read to us. Of course, this is uh, the letter written to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city uh, in what is today Turkey. And the church there in Ephesus, otherwise known as the Ephesian church, was pastored by a young man, a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Now, Timothy's mother and grandmother were both Christians, but Timothy's father was not. And yet he grew up under the teachings of God's grace, and he grew up to be quite a formidable pastor himself. However, the work of the church was never easy, not for Timothy or any pastor, including myself. It is a job that's never done, as you well know. There's always more to do, and that's good work, but it's a never-finishing work. I'm not asking for pity, just understanding. As each one of you are growing in God's grace, and I trust that's true, I hope none of you are going backwards, but you tell me, you tell yourself but rather that you are progressing in your knowledge and your love for Christ. That's an imperative. That's the call of the Christian, or for the Christian, that he, that she would be growing in Christ and not going backwards. And, and that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort on your part. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, if you look there at verses 13, 14, and 15, it lays out the goal of the Apostle Paul for Timothy. He says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Manhood is a broad word meaning womanhood as well. That each one of us would be spiritually mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful and indeceitful schemes. We've all been to the Jersey Shore and we've all enjoyed playing in the waves, but we also know how unsteady it is. 
Right? Every time a wave comes, it tosses us. I remember still to this day, as just a little boy, five-year-old child down at Belmar Beach, and just playing in waves. You know, back then I thought I was out in the deep, but I would imagine I wasn't. And after being out in the waters for quite a while, looking up to see where my parents were, and what I learned is that they were no longer there, and I thought that they picked up the umbrella and moved elsewhere and forgot me. And as a five-year-old boy, I was completely alarmed. I was frightened. Where did my parents go? They were there just moments ago. Well, what happened, as you all know, is that the ocean, the waves were pushing me further and further to the left, and I didn't realize it. And lo and behold, at one point when I did look up, they were gone. Actually, they were in the same place. I had moved. And fortunately, this lady saw me standing there in the water up to my knees crying. And she said, can I help you? And I said, please, I, I want to find my parents. And she said, well, let's go look for them. And she took me by the hand. And we walked until finally I said, there they are. And she took me to them and I was rescued. Now, that's the power of the ocean. And here we're being told that we must grow spiritually and that we must mature spiritually so that the ocean of lies, of deceitful craftiness, will not carry us away with false doctrine, with false truth. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? False truth. My son was telling me that he was interviewing somebody out in England who claimed to be an atheist Christian. <laughs> the truth is, is that this man greatly values Christianity. He just doesn't believe that there's a God. But he sees the beauty of Christian values. A brilliant man. I was just listening to him yesterday. Brilliant, and yet he does not believe in the existence of God. And he sees, though, the value of Christianity. So close, I said to my son, and yet so far. So close, so brilliant, and yet he can't perceive the existence of a God. The scriptures call on us to mature so that we will not be carried away by such craftiness. That we would believe as truth those things that are lies. Well, a few weeks ago, we spoke about how the church exists in order to bring hope to the people of God. But we also spoke about how the church exists in order to bring hope to a very dark and bleak world. And I think we all agreed, I remember many heads nodding, this is a dark and bleak world. The people of God are able to bring hope into this darkness, one conversation at a time. Some will listen, many will not. But we can still speak the truth. Well, what I want to do this morning is to sum up why the church exists with three phrases. Three phrases. The church exists to look upward, to look inward, and to look outward. Upward, inward, and outward. So let's take a look. Let's break down each one of these phrases 
and glean from these expressions, glean from the scriptures, why we are here. Why does the church of God exist? I want you to see the power and the beauty of the church. First of all, the church exists for the purpose of looking upward. This is a common theme. I know I've spoken of it many, many times, and I will always continue to do that. The church exists primarily to look upward and give glory to God. That is our primary function, to look upward and give glory to God. And this is done when we are alone. We often think that we come together and that's when we give glory to God. No, my friends, the church exists in order to be able to give God glory when you are alone. When you are at home alone or just with your family, when you are at work or when you're at the supermarket, when you are at school, whether we're talking here about glorifying God through your careers or through your marriage or through whatever it may be. In fact, take note of this significant truth. The degree of our worship is determined... The degree of our worship is determined not by big worship events. Sometimes we think, that's now I really worshiped. That was a great worship service. No, the degree of our worship is not determined by these significant worship events. Rather, the degree of your worship is determined by your daily small choices. How you make your daily choices, whatever it may be, those little choices determine whether or not you are really a worshiper of God. Those choices count. When you're by yourself, those choices count. But we also worship when we are together. And many times we look upward when we are together, worshiping together through music. It's a wonderful way of expressing our heart, right? When just reading words don't cut it, we put melody to it, and suddenly it becomes more expressive. Music helps us to worship. But please understand that worship is not just about singing to the Lord. Our worship together is expressed in the same way as when we are alone. We worship God together in the same way that we worship God when we are alone. It's a matter of your heart's desires for the things of Christ. So when we come together, we're simply doing what we've been doing by ourselves all week long. What is in your heart? And now we come together and we express our hearts to God himself together. And so when we come together, we are expressing the worth of God. We are worshiping Him, His greatness. When I'm by myself, I tell the Lord what He means to me. But when I come together with you, we tell the Lord what He means to us. We do not want to steal any glory from God, my friends. You want to give it all to Him. Give him his glory. When you're by yourself, and certainly when we come together. By looking upward, I mean that God is number one in your life. That God is preeminent in your life. 
When God's people bring God pleasure, God is worshipped. And that is the primary task of the church. Let me try to illustrate it this way. As you well know, when the President of the United States deplanes Air Force One, there's always a serviceman at the bottom of the stairs saluting him at attention. Have you noticed that never does anybody say, oh, come on, relax, put your hand down. We don't need all this pomp and ceremony. Let's be a little more down to earth about it. No, nobody says that. Why? Because the physical posture of that serviceman displays his respect and his honor to whoever's holding the office of the president. In fact, he wants his posture to say this person, this office deserves respect, deserves to be honored. And so when we come together, our duty is to salute God and to say he deserves all honor and glory. And when you leave here and you go about your daily business, your job is to salute God and give him honor and glory. The church is to look upward. And to look upward means that our hearts are marked with devotion to God. And if there's devotion, there needs to be obedience. And my friends, never let there be obedience without love. Always couple your love for God with obedience to God. Worship means that we make much of the supremacy of God and that we declare it. The church was created for this very purpose, an upward purpose. That's our primary task. How are you doing? Are you bringing God the glory that he deserves and that he even demands? Are you saluting the Lord with your life, with your heart, with your words? Give him the honor that is due him. Secondly, the church has a responsibility of looking inward. That is the second purpose of the church, to look inward. Now turn with me to the Gospel of John, if you will. John chapter 21 the very end of the Gospel of John. And at this point, Jesus Christ has resurrected, and he, the resurrected Christ has manifested himself to the disciples. And maybe you recall the account. Here, Jesus Christ gives to Peter a very clear set of instructions. Now, you'll recall that just a few days earlier, Peter had denied Christ how many times? Three times, right? And here Christ is going to, three times over, reinstate Peter. He's going to give Peter a threefold command. Now, as you read it in the English language, obviously that's what we speak, I want you to know that it was originally written in Greek, and in the Greek it's much more nuanced than what we see in English. It's not as clear in English as it would be if you were to read it in the original language. So let me show you exactly what it does say. Look at verse 15. 
Verse 15, Jesus Christ says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus Christ says what? He says, feed my lambs. Right, verse 15, feed my lambs. Literally there, if you were to read it in the original language, it would say, pasture my lambs. Pasture my lambs. It's a little different. And by the way, it's written in the present tense. In other words, Peter continuously don't stop pastoring my lambs. Feed them. Tend to them. Provide for them. Take them out to pasture. Who or what? My lambs. That's my little sheep. Uh, Jesus Christ uses the word lamb there, implying their inability to do for themselves. Uh, They are also vulnerable and they need tending. So Peter, pasture my lambs. Tend to them. In verse 16, Jesus Christ asks once, once again of Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you. And so Christ there says, not tend my sheep per se, but rather shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. That is to say, lead my sheep. Supervise my sheep. Take them where they're supposed to be. Provide for my sheep. And Peter does take this to heart. He does exactly what Christ requires of him. And later on in life, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Peter tells other pastors, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Shepherd the sheep of God. And then in verse 17, Jesus Christ asks Peter once again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. I've already told you twice. Are you questioning me, Jesus? Peter, do you love me? He says, you know that I do. And so Jesus Christ says, well then, Peter, pasture my sheep. The pastor is to lead, he is to provide, he is to guide. Sometimes he must goad the sheep. You know what goad means, right? We don't use that word too often. Goad means to prod. Sometimes it hurts. The shepherd is to goad and to tend to those who belong to God. And and he is to do it not only with the little lambs that are vulnerable and need tending, but also the mature sheep. Peter, pasture my sheep, not just my lambs. Leading God's own to the fullness of spiritual maturity as we just read in Ephesians 4. My friends, not only do we need to look upward, as a church, where we need to look inward. The job of the church is to look inward, to look at ourselves individually and together. The purpose of the church is to feed God's people so that God's people will grow in knowledge and heart for God. So that God's people will grow in knowledge and heart. They will grow in their mind and their understanding, but also in their passion for Christ. That's the job of the church. Now we call this orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Two important words to remember. The first one is familiar. The second one probably is not. Orthodoxy means that we believe the right things. Now we know how important that is, right? 
believe the right things. And you know, today we're being told that certain crimes are not crimes. So what's the result? There's an upswing in crimes. Why? Because we believed the wrong thing. What we believe really does matter. And so we must believe what is true. Not half true, not I want it to be true, but true truth. We must believe what is true. But believing is not enough. We also need orthodoxy plus orthopraxy. We need to practice what is right. Believe what is right and practice what is right. Now here's something interesting. You cannot have orthopraxy without orthodoxy. You cannot do what is right unless you know what is right. However, you can have orthodoxy and not have orthopraxy. You can believe the right thing but not live the right way. Beware. Beware. Guard yourself against that. Guard your heart. The task of the church is to impart truth and to learn to put that truth into practice. To practice that truth. But I do know that truth is hard to find these days. There's nothing new under the sun. You'll recall in John chapter 18, verse 38, Jesus Christ is standing before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? And there, the very creator of truth was standing in front of him, and he could not see it. Mankind has always been looking for truth. Today, it seems to be significantly harder to find. We all know that fake truth exists, but you know what, what is happening in our culture is that fake, fake news is actually making us believe there is no true news. Now we question everything. Even when we hear the truth, we wonder whether or not it's true. We live in what is called philosophically a postmodern world. And postmodernism says there is no truth. Truth doesn't exist. And it couples together with existentialism, which is a, a close-knit philosophy as well, that says that in order for your life to have meaning, you have to create meaning. There is no meaning to life unless you create it. There's no truth in life unless you create it. Of course, Oprah has taught us that very well with this little phrase that's so catchy and people really seem to have appreciated when she was still on the air. She would begin her interviews with the question, what is your truth? What's your truth? And people would say, well, my truth is... You see, what we have learn to believe, and, and those like Oprah have taught us to believe, is that my truth is my truth, and that's all there needs to be. We have learned to believe that we can create truth, that we can be the arbiters of what is right and what is wrong, that we can determine what pleases God and what doesn't, if God exists, if I say he does. I could believe whatever I want to believe as long as it doesn't hurt too many people. 
I remember one episode of Oprah in which she actually shamed the parents of children who wanted to transition into another gender. She shamed them. You're wrong. How dare you take away this truth from your children? God's people were silent. Today, truth is determined by personal desires. Have you noticed that? What's true? Well, this is what I want to be true. In fact, today, our desires determine our identity. It used to be where DNA determined identity. It used to be where reality determined who I am. Today, my desires determine who I am. What I feel, what I want, becomes true. And so truth is now simply therapeutic. It's whatever makes me feel good. Truth is no longer concrete and objective. It no longer stands alone, despite what I think. But rather, truth is now determined by what I desire. And you best not get in my way. And if you do, keep in mind, you're wrong. I'm right. And if I could get enough people to agree with me, then it, only, it will only underscore how wrong you are. And then the Christian comes along and says, here is truth. And the world says, but it's not my truth. Well, beware, my friends, because nature has a way of turning around and biting us. And when you go against the laws of nature created by the true God, it will turn around and it will grip you with a bite that will not let go. And there will be great pain. And this is where God's people come in then. Then you open the word of God and say, let me show you God's truth. The only truth. The true truth. But this idea that we could create our own truth is going to be disastrous. It's not going to be disastrous. It already is. Our job is to look inward and know God's truth and live by God's truth. That's the goal of the church. That's the purpose of the church. That's the calling of the church. And it begins when you look inward and then together we look inward. Find God's truth. Believe God's truth. Learn God's truth. Live God's truth. And thirdly, the church has the purpose of looking outward. Of looking outward. Two points I want to make here. When we look outward, the first thing we need to do is share the gospel. The second thing we need to do is be the church. Uh, let me look at those two separately. Right? When we look outward, the first thing we must do is share the gospel. My friends, the church must be the primary means by which the world is able to hear of Jesus. The church is the means by which, the, by which Jesus is heard. 
The gospel must be the primary message of the church. Well, what you notice as you read through the gospels is that Jesus Christ often had a very holistic ministry. In other words, he, he not only preached for the soul, but he also took care of the sick, the body. He healed people. We see this again and again and again. And, and frankly, as you well know, most people were more interested in the healing than the preaching. Some things don't change, correct? How often do we pray for somebody's healing of their body, but neglect ever praying for the healing of their souls? Correct? Seems like the physical is always the primary for us. But you'll notice that Christ often did both, but never did he have a... A, a, a rally where he called everybody in to heal all these people and then did not preach to them. But at times, he did preach, but he did not heal. The emphasis of Christ was on the soul. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, my purpose is to, quote, seek and save the lost. He was always concerned with the spiritual condition of your soul. Proclaiming the gospel message was why Christ traveled from town to town. In Mark chapter 1 verse 38 he says, For that is why I came. I came to the poor, yes. I came to the brokenhearted, yes. I came to those who were like sheep without a shepherd. I came to them, but not so much to heal their bodies, but to heal the condition of their souls. And he's still doing that today. And he's willing to do that for you. He can, and he will. If you give your life by faith to him. And so the church then is called to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples. How? By proclaiming the gospel. Go and make those disciples. And so the church must be the primary way by which Jesus is heard. But notice here we are also to be the church. Meaning that the church is the primary way by which Jesus Christ is seen. He is seen primarily through you. Let me show to you what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5.20. It's a very familiar New Testament passage. There we are told that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Jesus Christ is seen through his ambassadors, you, his church. The job of the church is to reach outward with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ and piercing this present darkness by being the people of God. My friends, we are resident aliens. It's as as if we are carrying spiritual green cards, all of us. We are here, but this is not our world. We are simply passing through. We are resident aliens. We live here. It's not our home. And let me remind you that as people who are part of the church of Jesus Christ, now this is crucial these days, so listen carefully. The job of the church is not to change America. 
The job of the church is not to change the U.S. of A. We do not possess, as a church, a functional identity. We are not here to fulfill this higher purpose of making America great again. Oh, listen, I would like for America to be great again. But that is not the job of the church. That's the job of American citizens, beginning from the White House down. The job of the church is not to make America great. It's not as if the church is a tool in God's big toolbox by which he's going to fix this nation. The job of the church is not to undo the sin that has corrupted our country. My friends, the church is not a tool in God's toolbox. The church is the mission of God. The church is God's definitive purpose. God is not trying to create something better through the church. Rather, we are. God's church is that better creation. Simon Chan put it this way. I'll read his quote to you. The church is what God has in view from all eternity. And it is the means by which God fulfills his eternal purpose. The church does not exist in order to fix a broken creation. Rather, creation exists to realize the church. Creation exists in order to make the church alive exist. God made the world in order to make the church, not vice versa. The church is not a unit in a larger unit. Rather, it is the pinnacle of the plan of God. You see the difference? God did not create the church in order to make America better. He created America, and he created Brazil, and he created France, and Angola, and China, and Canada, and Cuba, and Chile, and Mexico, and the Ukraine, and Moldova, and all 195 nations of this world. You know why he created them? So that the church of Christ would thrive in those nations. These nations exist in order to house the church of Christ. And so we read in 1 Peter 2.9 that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our job, my friends, is to fill this nation with the purpose of God, the church. That's our job. To fill this nation with the purpose of God, the church. And so when the church moves outward... She makes first things first. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.3. He says, look, listen. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. First importance. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What? What's first? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. My friends, moving outward begins when you look inward. You can't move outward, you can't look outward until you begin to look inward. And you'll begin to look inward when you begin to look upward. 
and you see the glory of God. When you begin to look inward, you will place Christ first in your schedule, but not just in your schedule, also in your passions, in your heart. Look inward so that Christ will be primary in your heart, not just externally, but in your heart. Who am I? I am a part of the church of God because he is of first importance. You know, we've been reading out of Ephesians chapter 4. Beautiful passage. Joe read a good portion of that chapter to us. But if you jump over to the very end of the Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4. It's a very sad account. There we read about the church in Ephesus. Quote, You have lost the love. You have lost your first love. Lost the love for what they used to love most. That's where they're at. Isn't that awful? A church that sat under the instruction of the Apostle Paul himself. A church that had a formidable young pastor by the name of Timothy. A church that survived for decades proclaiming and living for Christ. Now in the book of Revelation, it's a church that has lost its first love. Why? Because Christ was no longer of first importance. Never allow your activity for God to replace your passion for God. Never allow your religion to replace your heart devotion for God. Trevin Wax writes this, God himself has a mission. God has himself a mission the church is invited to join. The mission of the church is grounded in the missionary heart of God. And he wants us to have that same heart. A heart that will look upward to him first, inward to see who we are, where we stand, and then outward, so that the gospel can be heard by the world, but so that Jesus Christ can be seen by the world as well. The church is where Christ is best seen. But the world cannot see Christ through us if you could barely see Christ in yourself. If you can only barely see Christ in in you, in your own heart, How will the world see Christ through you? So here's your homework this week. Here's something I'm serious about every single one of us thinking about this week. Ask yourself this question. What do I need to do so that Christ will be obviously my first love again? What do I need to begin doing so that Christ will once again be my first love. And once Christ becomes your first love, you will see your life radically changing. You will see a new me. And you will thank the Lord for it. And morning will come and you will be glad, for this is a new day by which you will serve the Lord. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, how grateful we are that you give us reason to look upward and glorify you. And you give us the means by which we can look inward and diagnose ourselves.
And Lord, you give us the ability to look outward and be a display of Christ to the world that's watching. Help us to do it well. Help us to do it right. Amen.